Hello and welcome to the Money, Mind, and Meaning podcast episode 20. Can't believe we are 20 episodes in now. Uh, I am Dr. Daniel Crosby. Uh, A big thank you to all who have rated and reviewed the show on iTunes. That is just such a huge help and it helps to get the word out. So thank you very much. Uh, Big thanks to all those who have shared on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Also a huge help. Uh, And finally, thank you to those who have purchased a copy of my book, uh, The Laws of Wealth, Psychology and the Secret to Investing Success, helps me feed my kids and helps keep the show going. So thank you. Um, So today we're going to talk about why change is so difficult. Uh, We're going to talk about why you always order the same thing at dinner, why uh, you can't seem to date the right person. You always seem to date the same kind of jerks. Uh, and why here on March 12th, you have already abandoned your New Year's resolutions. So to begin this conversation, I'm going to start by telling a story, which is how I like to start most of the shows. And this story is about a German town that was presented with an almost unheard of opportunity, which is the chance to totally reinvent itself. So this town sat atop valuable mineral reserves that the West German government desperately needed. Vast swaths of the village, though, would have to be knocked down to access this valuable lignite that needed to be mined. But it wasn't all bad news, uh, because in return, the government offered to rebuild the town just down the road to whatever specifications the townspeople desired. Now, truth be told, part of the reason that the government felt so comfortable destroying the town was that it was frankly just an ugly town. It had developed haphazardly over the years, it wound in sort of a snaking path that made travel difficult, and it wasn't particularly functional uh, or, or beautiful. So think about what you'd like to do to your town. How would you redesign your city or your town if you were given the opportunity uh, to do it again from scratch? You know, being from Atlanta, uh, living in Atlanta, I can't help but, but think that there are some things that I would change to make the traffic a little bit better. But when asked to create a new city plan that, mind you, would be entirely bankrolled by the government, the townspeople set forth a plan that looked, you guessed it, just like the ugly little hamlet that had been destroyed. So given the chance to be anything they wanted to be, They engaged in the very natural human tendency to be what they had always been. So this broad tendency of ours to maintain the status quo, to privilege sameness over change, accounts for a host of human behaviors, and it's the the crux of our conversation today here on the show. So I want to start talking about the devil that you know, and I want to use an example uh, that is, frankly, one of our biggest societal ills, and that's alcoholism. So this year, roughly 10,000 people will die in drunk driving accidents. 10,000 people. A majority, 55%, of all family violence occurs in the home of alcoholics. One in three of us, one in three of us listening to this show will be involved in an alcohol-related crash at some point in our lifetime. Now, we're all familiar with the dangers of alcohol abuse at a high level, but statistics like this, if if you're me, these still stagger the mind. Given the damage done by drinking to excess, it seems natural that those negatively impacted by alcoholism in their youth 
would take pains to avoid it in adulthood. If this had touched your life in a bad way, it would seem rationally that you'd want to run far away from it when you were given the opportunity to make your own choices. So why is it then that fully half of children of alcoholics go on to marry alcoholics themselves? Well, there are a number of psychological variables at play that account for this tendency to prefer the devil that we know. One reason is that there's just comfort in sameness. People want to know what they're getting into, even if it's boring, bad, or unfulfilling. Pain researchers have found that expected pain is much less disruptive than unexpected pain, even if the painful stimulus delivered is of exactly the same intensity. Reminds me of the old Nirvana song with the refrain, I miss the comfort in being sad. So conservation, this tendency to maintain the status quo, is also propped up by our natural tendency to avoid regret, to esteem things we have as more valuable than those we don't, and to fear loss more than we seek gain. Whatever the specific psychological underpinnings, the pitfall of our natural conservation is universal. It keeps us stuck. In an investment context, this can look like everything from holding losers too long, to failing to rebalance, to under-allocating to risk assets like stocks, all the way to a more general complacency and paralysis. Change requires a lot of us that's psychologically difficult, cognitive effort, adaptation, the potential for regret and loss, but it's also fundamental to living a good life and making enough money in the market. In life and markets, change is the only constant. So let's talk about another reason why change is uh, so difficult. It's that thinking is hard. So let me ask, how many decisions would you guess that you're going to make today? Take a second, mentally walk through your day, and just give me a guess. Got it? Well, most people I ask this question to land somewhere around 100 and that's way off. Researchers suggest that you will make 35,000 decisions today. That's right, 35,000 decisions today. So canonical models of decision-making deal with two types of decisions. We've got certain decisions, the, that is those that are with a known set of alternatives with certain outcomes, and uncertain decisions, which are just the opposite. So in theory, decisions made under conditions of certainty involve ranking the known alternatives and choosing the most preferred option, which sounds logical and simple enough. Uncertain decisions, uh, these models would suggest, operate from a similar theory, with the only kink being that subjective probabilities are assigned to the different outcome likelihoods. Thus, decision makers weigh the desirability of a given option by the chance that it will or won't occur. Now these are nice ideas, and they even make a certain amount of sense until you consider the sheer volume of decisions we make each day. When you consider that you will make nearly 13 million decisions each year, Thinking that each determination is made by weighing its probabilistic utility starts to seem a little bit improbable. So if making that many decisions sounds exhausting, the research supports that it is, which leads us to disproportionately stick with what we know. 
So in a famous paper called Status Quo Bias in Decision Making, Samuelson and Zeckhauser found that classical models of decision making vastly underpredict the degree to which we just stick with what we're already doing. When considering decisions as diverse as voting, making business decisions, choosing health insurance, and managing retirement accounts, the two researchers found that we overwhelmingly default to the status quo. They illustrate the strength of this tendency using the metaphor of an incumbent politician taking on a challenger. In their words, quote, an extrapolation of our experimental results indicates that the incumbent office holder would claim an election victory by a margin of 59% to 41%. Conversely, a candidate who would command as few as 39% of the voters in the neutral setting could still earn a narrow election victory as an incumbent. Such is the power of the status quo. You think that voters dispassionately weigh the pros and cons of politicians when making a choice? Think again. More often than not, they pull the lever for the person that's already seated. Wansink and Sobel of Cornell found that we were similarly impacted by conservation, by the status quo, and the way that we make the over 200 food decisions that we confront each day. In their first study, the professors examined how aware participants were of having actually made a decision around food. The 139 participants in their study actually underestimated the number of food decisions they made by an average of 221. It's a testament to the degree to which we're on autopilot that we can make decisions so wholly beneath our awareness. Their second study looked at those who overate by virtue of having been given an environmental default, so something like a large bowl. When asked why they overate, almost no one attributed it attributed this to defaulting to the status quo, to just eating what was on their plate. 21% of participants denied having overeaten altogether. 75% attributed it to hunger, and a scant 4% copped to the fact that, yeah, I just filled up the bowl because it was there. So there's a reason that the art house films and documentaries in your Netflix queue never get watched. Your brain is tired. After a long day at work, you want Michael Bay, not Lars von Trier. You're confronted with a staggering number of decisions to make each day, and the complexity of modern life and the ubiquity of technology only exacerbate the problem. Drawing on this very idea, Edwards, in a 1968 paper, found that our tired brains mean that we don't update our beliefs rationally, and that, quote, the more useful the evidence the greater the shortfall between actual updating and rational updating. So pause for a moment and consider how incredible that statement is. Important information is almost of necessity hard to digest. Our constant mental fatigue ensures that we leave relevant new information to the side and rely instead on well-trodden mental paths of dubious quality. So as we've discussed in this episode, your brain is the most metabolically inefficient part of your body, and one way that you conserve energy is by just going with the default. We've said on previous podcasts, your brain takes 2 to 3% of your body weight, uh, but accounts for about 20 to 25% of your metabolic spend, so it's massively inefficient. 
It's massively inefficient and your mind is always looking for ways to go into energy saver mode. So you don't calculate how much cereal you need to fuel your morning, you just fill up the bowl. You don't create a spreadsheet comparing the pros and cons of your workplace retirement options, you're tired. You just go with the one that you've had for the past five years. You don't rebalance your portfolio, you just let it ride. So this status quo bias is a fact of life that exists in no small part because your decision-making abilities are just stretched to their limit. So your challenge for today is to examine the decisions that you'll make today. And we know that there are thousands, right? We know that there are more than you think. Examine your decisions today with a critical eye and ask yourself, what am I doing just because I've always done it that way and could I do a little better? Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Daniel Crosby. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel Crosby. Uh, Hit me on LinkedIn. Thank you again if you take the time to go review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, uh, if you share this with a friend or on social media. Uh, And finally, thanks to those of you who have bought a copy of The Laws of Wealth or have pre-ordered The Behavioral Investor uh, to help me feed those three kids. Appreciate your time, and we will see you next week.